Welcome to the Celebration Church Orlando podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Church, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I am really, really excited about uh, today's message. And I, and I realize that I say that um, all the time, but, but this is one of those ones that it, it really, it's really marked me in the early stages of my faith and my hope and my belief is that it can serve as some inspiration for you as well. So if you have your Bibles, I wanna invite you to join me in Exodus chapter three. We're gonna land in Exodus chapter three is where we're gonna spend some time. While you're turning there, I, wanna, I just wanna remind us of where we've kind of been so far um, this year. We've been up to this point talking about this idea of resetting some things, that like this is a season where God wants to reset some things. And to reset simply means to set again, to set a fresh start, so to be. It's, it's God's desire for us to have a blank canvas in the primary text we've been looking at to kind of accentuate that idea is found in Isaiah 43 verses 18 and 19. Go back and, and look at it. But ultimately what it says is that God wants to do a new thing. Can you perceive it? Do you recognize it? Do you see that God is up to doing something new? And what we believe is that in this season of prayer and fasting, it's how we posture ourselves and cleanse the palate, so to speak so that we can recognize and see what God wants to do in and through us. That's our belief. And so I believe as we continue to reset some things in regards to to worship and fasting and praying, I also believe that it's the word that serves as the instruction manual that gives us hope during that season of reset. As you find yourself in Exodus chapter number three, I want to give you a, a, a real brief context as to what's happening up to this point. We all are probably familiar with some degree of, of Moses. And Moses is an incredible leader and man who followed God and did some incredible things on his behalf. And sometimes we highlight some of those powerful stories and, and, and such. But I think there's other moments where we can be lose sight of the fact that Moses is a man just like us. He's made mistakes just like us. And so there's this moment where, where Moses makes a mistake. He, he kind of drifts off into obscurity and he goes off into the, the promised land. He's literally on the run for 40 years. He's kind of gotten comfortable with being out in the wilderness, so to speak, but God isn't done with him. In fact, God has an assignment for him that God wants to use him to go back to the very environment that he was running from in order for him to bring healing and restoration. Isn't it interesting how sometimes we try to escape some things, but that seems to be our mission field that God wants to send us back to. This is where Moses finds himself. And and so as God approaches Moses in this, this powerful burning bush moment, there's a passage of scripture here that I think is so strong that can be so encouraging for us that if we can lean into it for us in this season, I think it can give us some inspiration. It says here at verse number six, as Moses is now being made aware that he is in the presence of God, that it says this at verse number six, it says, then he continued, this is God, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. What we have here is Moses, who's, who's very familiar with his history, with his background, with his hangups in life, and now God has stepped into his presence, so to speak, and Moses feels very uncomfortable, so he hides his face. It's after this passage that God then instructs Moses what he is called to do. Moses is thinking of the fact that he killed a man. He's thinking about some things in his life. He's thinking about his speech impediment, even. How can I go and speak on God's behalf when I have a stutter? Moses is thinking of everything that would disqualify him from being the right man for the job, but yet God chose him anyway. So skipping down to verse number 13 and looking at 13 and 14, after Moses kind of has this this moment of trying to argue back and forth with God on why he's not the right person, verse 13, Moses then says to God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what should I tell them? 
And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. That's, that's, that's a phrase that's really powerful. It's something that we may see in Scripture. What you will see that then transliterated too is when we ever see the word Lord in all caps, that's, that's ultimately saying Jehovah from that point forward. The most sacred name, it would be Yahweh. So that's God literally providing for the first time in Scripture his personal name to his creation. In the same way that my first name is Keith, this is God's way of saying, if you want to know my name, my name is Yahweh. And what Yahweh means is, I will be what you need me to be. I am who I am. I will do what you need me to do. In fact, what's connected to God's name is what he does. He says, if you need me to be your healer, then I will be your healer. If you need me to be your deliverer, then I will be your deliverer. That the name of God itself contains exactly what you need. He says, I am who I am. Yahweh is who I am. Tell them that I am has sent me to you. From there, he continues on looking at verse number 15, and what he says is, let them know that I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That is who I am. That is who is being sent to bring deliverance to God's people. God introduces himself as I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That is who I am. And I believe there are some things that God wants to speak to us today. If you're taking notes, and I pray that you are, because we're about to get into some things here today, I want you to write this message title down, God's Credit Score. God's Credit Score. Let's evaluate what God's Credit Score is as a family right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you for moments where we can gather in your name, Lord, and, and have community in such a time as this. So, Father, I just pray over the next few moments that you give us open eyes to see you, open ears to hear you and open hearts to receive everything that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray with expectation that you're going to speak to us today. Amen. Amen. I'm in a, I'm in a very interesting season now that I'm kind of like in my mid-40s. I'm recognizing that I want to be a lot more um, retrospective about the way that I interact with, with people in my family. You know, because life is, life is filled with, with so many lessons. There's all these moments and opportunities of, of nuggets of wisdom to be transferred specifically, I think, about to the people that I mentor. I think about moments when I'm, I'm preaching to our community or and even when I'm spending time with my family. I'm making sure that I, I don't want to miss an opportunity to teach my family or somebody something. I'm not missing an opportunity to even learn something. So life is, is filled with opportunities for us to learn and to grow, but there's a tension that we have to manage. And I, I've learned this more um, and more spending time with my family. The tension that we often have to manage is making sure that whatever that principle, whatever that object lesson is that we're trying to, whatever we're trying to transfer to someone, that it doesn't get into that space of I told you so. Because we know the difference between the I told you so person versus the person who wants to share wisdom through experience. So for me, with my children specifically, I, I do my best that whenever we're having conversations to be the person that's one that's sharing wisdom that can help them move forward, not sharing the I told you so to keep them from moving forward. Here's the biggest distinction between the two, if in case you were wondering. The I told you so person, they're exalting what they know. I told you so. You should have listened to me. I know everything make an altar to me. But wisdom to move people forward is we're learning from this experience, so how do we move forward from it? And it's easy to slip into the I told you so person, as my son so brilliantly said to me just yesterday when I told him, like, hey, man, make sure you do the dishes. And he's like, oh, I didn't get a chance to get to it. I thought I told you. He's like, but I thought you're not a I told you so person. I said, shut up and go to your room. That it's, just, it's just an example of how quickly we can slip into it, but we have a responsibility of trying to move people forward with the wisdom and experiences that God has given us. 
That being said, my conversations with my family lately have been centered around finances and, and managing and stewarding credit and, and all those things that are so important in order to help us to move forward. I, I really take a lot of pride in trying to prepare my children for those moments because I, I remember when I was younger, when I was their age, when I was just graduating from high school, all the letters that I would get in the mail. And you know that there's nothing that will inflate a teenager's ego than a letter that they get in the mail that says that you are pre-approved. So I remember filling out these applications when I was much younger, and I was getting credit cards left and right. Had no idea about the implications of it, but every time I went out with my friends, swipe it. Let's go. I remember I went to Sears and Roebuck. Come on, somebody. Anybody remember back when we used to go to stores in person? I went to Sears and Roebuck and actually bought some rims and got my windows tinted for $728. That was my vibe back then. I, had, I, put some, I put some rims on. I put some spinners on on my, my Hyundai Scoop. You couldn't tell me nothing. Windows tinted, man, I was leaned back. It was a good vibe. I remember swiping it, and life was going good. And then after I couldn't keep up with the payments, I, I recognized that what should have been $700, I ended up paying double with interest. So what ends up happening is you get stretched so thin because of, of debt, and you can't carry it all that, that things begin to slip between the cracks and now you're at a place where now what you've done in the past is hurting you in the present and keeping you from moving into the future. I still remember very vividly that moment when I went to go and try to purchase a townhome. Meg and I were kind of fresh in our relationship. We we're like, hey, let's go get a townhouse. We're looking at getting an apartment, but we're like, let's, let's look into it. But I remember that moment when we put in the application, me not having any concept of how credit works and the impact that it has on you. And they came back and they said, hey, um, Megan, you're, you're good. She was more responsible than me, no surprise there. But they said, but for you, Mr. Pittman, we, we need to do some work to get your score up to a point where you can be approved. Man, that was their nice way of saying that I was disqualified. That, that was the first time that it became real to me that, that somehow something that I did in my past was preventing me from moving into the future. It was the first time that I considered that there's these moments where you can make mistakes, that they can follow you everywhere. So you know what ends up happening once you get rejected, when you get your hopes up about something and it doesn't work out? It can cause you to stop wanting to move forward altogether. In fact, the fear of rejection can paralyze pursuit. I see y'all writing that down, so I'm going to say that again. The fear of rejection can paralyze pursuit. Once you've been rejected so many times, you stop even pursuing it altogether. Once you've been told no so many times, you get tired of hearing no, so you put yourself in positions where you don't have to be vulnerable to be in that place. And then unfortunately, we can find ourselves standing still in environments that God wants us to move forward in. Once you are told no that you can't get a promotion, you stop even trying to excel to move forward. Once you're told no in pursuing a significant other, you get a little apprehensive about pursuing anyone else. It begins to mess with your confidence when you're told no enough times. And unfortunately, what I believe happens is that reality begins to work its way into our belief system as it relates to God. Because it's almost as if we believe that God is looking at our spiritual credit report, so to speak. And every time we come to environments like this and we tell you that, man, there's an opportunity for you to serve, to get involved in our church. There's a moment where you want to try it, but then you think about, man, but I know. I know what I did last summer. I know what mistakes I've made, and I'm concerned that the moment that I step out to say, yes, I want to get involved in leading a group, the moment that you step out and say, yes, I want to serve on a team, the moment that you step out to truly get invested in the house that's investing in you, you think that God is looking back at your spiritual credit report, so to speak, and he's like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm glad you submitted your application, but let me tell you why you're not qualified. I see here where you got a divorce, so you're not qualified. I see here where you've made some mistakes, and so you're not qualified, and I see you where you've 
you've, you've, you've fallen short and you've even gotten an abortion, so you're definitely not qualified. We begin to translate that into our walk with God, and it makes us very apprehensive with moving forward with anything that God could potentially be trying to do in our lives. But I feel like my responsibility here today is to free somebody up because the Bible declares that, that sin was often described as being debt, that it would be weighed upon us and that we never were able to quite pay the price. But the Bible that I read says in, in, in Colossians chapter number two, verse 14, it says that he erased the certificate of debt with its obligation that was against us and that opposed us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Let me explain something to you, that no matter what debt you may have felt is on your shoulder, no matter what mistakes you may have made, no matter what your struggles and setbacks are, I'm here to let you know that the blood of Jesus paid the debt in full. So that means that the enemy cannot place anything on your shoulders because God has already paid for it. If you really believe that, I think we'll be celebrating a little bit more. I'm trying to let you know that you don't have to do the work anymore because Jesus did the work for you. The debt has been paid. I'm not sure if I'm the only one, but I know that there have been moments where you got an overlap where I get a bill that I know has already been paid for. I get a little confused initially, but I'm thinking to myself, I thought that this was paid for, so why are they still sending me a bill? There must be a mistake here. I'm not going to pay it because I know it's paid in full. What I believe happens sometimes is that the enemy shows up to try to bring shame and condemnation to the mistakes that we made, but if we can have that mentality, I know that Jesus already paid for this on the cross. I'm set free. The Bible says that when you're inside of Christ, that you are a new creation that old things pass away and behold all things become new so I'm not going to pay the debt on something that Jesus has already paid in full that is what's so important for us but here's the tension that we all have to manage the reality is that even though Jesus has paid the balance for all of us we actually have to take it and transfer it and deposit it into our spiritual bank account so that it can be then transferred into the currency of faith where we actually begin to walk it out and believe it see God has given us a book that is filled with so many promises, but if we don't allow those promises to be deposited into our spiritual bank account, it's like a piece of paper that has value, but until you transfer it into a currency that you can actually use in transactions, it's not going to help you to move forward. You see, I remember many years ago when I got a settlement from a car accident. And it wasn't a whole significant amount of money, but for that time, it was something that we desperately needed. And I got the phone call from my attorney's office at 3.38 p.m. You guys can see that I'm very detailed-oriented. My mind is like a cinema. I'm always capturing every moment. I got the phone call at 3.38 p.m., and when I got the phone call, the lawyer said, Mr. Pittman, you can come and collect your check. Everything has been, everything has been situated. My response was to immediately get to the lawyer's office because I knew that the bank closed at five. So this is going back before the days of online banking, the convenience of snapping the picture and having the money in your account, none of that. Back in my day, I sound like an old man, back in my day, you had to actually walk inside of a bank and talk to people. So I knew that I needed to get to the, I needed to get to the lawyer's office and then collect the check and then get to the bank to make the deposit. Because while I knew that the money was good, it was a promissory note, I knew the value was there, but until I took that piece of paper that had all the money that was written on it and deposited it into my account, I wasn't going to be able to handle the transactions that were in front of me. Until I deposited it into my account, I had a piece of paper that had value, but unfortunately, that piece of paper, I can't take that and make my mortgage payment. I can't take that piece of paper and pay the light bill, but if I can deposit it into my account and allow it to be transferred into a currency that allows 
allows me to now handle the transactions, that's how I can begin to move forward. And I'm concerned that there's times when we come to church that we look at the promises in God's word and it's like a check that is filled with so much value and promises, but we never apply it to our lives. And so when we face transactions that require faith and belief, we're trying to pay for it in feelings. We're paying for it with fear. But God is saying, can you take my word and actually deposit it into your spirit and allow it to be transferred into the currency of faith? Because then when you allow it to be transferred into the currency of faith, when a transaction shows itself to me that the enemy presents to me, I'm paying for it with faith and not by feelings. This is why God's word is so important. It's not a collection of thoughts and good ideas to make your life better. It's promises from God himself. It's a reflection of God's mind, heart, his will, his desire for his people. He wants to let us know that we are a part of his story. We have a part to play, but we have to take those words, deposit it into our spirit, and do something with it so that when we face obstacles, we're standing on God's word and nothing else. I remember from my mother, she... She was a woman who was strong in her faith, and we had faced many situations in different moments. And when my biological father walked out of our life when I was four years old, I remember her trying to figure out a way to provide for my brother and I. I still remember moments where I would hear her sing the word of God. I still remember moments when I would hear her pray the word of God. I'm not sure if you've ever been around somebody who prays the word of God, but it's their way of saying, the God that I serve, the God, the Bible that I read says, God does not have favorites. We have favor, but he doesn't have favor. So what scripture tells us is the same God that did it for them, I need to deposit that and believe that he will do it for me. So I will see my mother pray prayers like this. Lord, I'm in the middle of a tight situation. The heat is all around me, similar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I believe that the same God that delivered them is the same God that is able to deliver me. I remember hearing my mom pray prayers like this. Lord, my son is sick. But I'm reminded of what your word says with Lazarus, that this sickness shall not end in death. So the same way that you raise up Lazarus is the same way that I'm believing you're going to raise up my child. Because I know that if you did it for them, then you're going to do it for me. This is an example of what it looks like when you're looking at what God's word says and you begin to pray it. You begin to sing it. You begin to stand on it. You begin to believe it. That's how you transfer this word from a promissory note into standing on the promises of God and knowing I'm going to deposit this thing into my spirit. And I will not move until I see the result that God is talking about. That's why our worship experience earlier was about us being sensitive to what God is doing. It's about us believing that if I can just get a hold of God, that the things I've been struggling with, I'm not going to struggle with anymore. I'm not sure who I'm talking to, but it's time for us to stop looking at the word of God and leaving it on a shelf and revisiting it a week later, but actually start transferring it into our spirit and allowing it to make the currency of faith. So no matter what I face, I'm going to begin to quote the word of God and not my feelings. We have, as a people of God, there are moments where I believe that we we stand on facts, we stand on logic, but we miss out on what God's word says. It's God's word that has the ability to radically transfer and transform our lives. See, for Moses, he's a man who is very familiar with his spiritual credit report. He's very familiar of what his struggles and brokenness is. And when God shows up and he says that I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, what he is ultimately communicating to Moses is that, Moses, you can check my credit score. I am perfect. The same way that I fulfilled my promises with Abraham, the same way that I fulfilled my promises with Isaac, the same way I fulfilled my promises with Jacob is the same way that I will fulfill my promises with you. Back then, Moses didn't have the ability to have the word of God in the context that we do. 
Back then, you ever think about how they stayed inspired, how they stayed encouraged? They didn't have 66 books that they could look at, read books about, look at and listen to podcasts, come to church and listen to messages. The only way that they knew that God was active in their lives was listening to the stories and testimonies of what God did through their ancestors. And they began to deposit that into their spirits. And they said, if God did it for Abraham, then God will do it for me. If God did it for Isaac, then God will do it for me. If God did it for Jacob, then God will do it for me. It was about looking at God's credit history and recognizing that the same God that did it then is the same God that will do it now. That's the power of the God that we serve. That's the power of the word of God as it reminds us of who God is and what he's ultimately called us to do. And looking at this passage, I believe that there's a couple of things that I want to accentuate that hopefully can be inspiration and encouragement for us as we prepare to conclude today. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. God is a God of increase. See, when he says that I am the God of Abraham, he is communicating that I am the God of increase. Let me, let me explain what that means. See, Abraham, when you're familiar with his story, Abraham was a man that was plucked essentially out of obscurity. He, he, wasn't, he didn't belong to a strong, spiritually vibrant family. In fact, his father began and believed in a, in a very paganistic theology. So when God approaches Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he selects him, he identifies him, he pulls him out of that and says that I have a calling on your life. And my calling is for you to have such a legacy that, that generations are going to be blessed as a result of you. Understand for a moment that at the time, Abraham had no children. He's getting up in age. He has absolutely nothing, but yet God chose him. And all Abraham had to do, he didn't have to work for it. He didn't have to strive for it. What he had to do was deposit it into his spirit and act on it. So what scripture says is that Abraham believed God and that was good enough. That that was good enough. Now, when we look at the life of Abraham, a man who had nothing, but God used him to literally allow the lineage of the Messiah to be birthed through him, it's an example of what it means when God adds value, when he adds increase to your life. In fact, Abraham's name means exalted father, father of nations. That means that even when Abraham didn't have anything, God spoke a promise over his word that he was going to add increase to his life. That means that as Abraham was getting older and he was feeling that he was getting past his reproductive period, that God said, but I'm still going to add increase to your life. So when the Bible says that I am the God of Abraham, what God is ultimately saying to us is I am the God that is able to take nothing and make something out of it. That I am the God that is able to look at your lack, but I'm still able to provide provision in spite of it. I am the God that if you can just believe me, I can reproduce something powerful inside of you because all I need is just a mustard seed of faith. When God says that I am the God of Abraham, I am a God that knows how to add and not take away from your life. The question becomes, what are the things that are lacking my life right now? Because maybe the message for you right now is to be encouraged in knowing that you serve the God of Abraham. That means that you serve the God that knows how to take nothing and make something out of it. You serve the God that knows how to take a little and make a mountain out of it. You serve the God that knows how to give you more than enough. The God who knows how to give you exceedingly, abundantly all that you may ask or think. God wants to bring increase to your life, but we got to deposit it into our spirit and metabolize faith so that when the enemy shows up and presents a transaction that says you're not good enough or you don't have enough to move forward, you can say, no, I serve the God of Abraham, which means I serve the God of increase. So that means I'm going to pay for this transaction by stating the same God that did it for Abraham, the same God that chose him. And only my responsibility is to believe it, that God's going to move me forward. That's the God that I serve. We got to start paying for transactions with the finished work of God instead of our feelings. 
I am the God of Abraham. I am the God that brings increase. But then Abraham, who struggled with having his own son, eventually does have a son, and his name is Isaac. See, Isaac, that name means joy. The second thing I want you to write down is that God is a God of joy. He knows how to bring joy in every situation, no matter what you may find yourself facing. See, Abraham, when he, he got to the end of himself and God finally gave him his promised son, Isaac was born. But Isaac's life wasn't easy. It was promised, but it wasn't easy. What we know about Isaac is that because Abraham at one point got a little fearful and got away from God, have you ever been there where you're like, okay, I know what God's word says, but maybe God needs a little help. Let me do this in my own strength. That was Abraham. So maybe you're familiar with the story where he steps outside of his marriage and, and has a child with another woman named Ishmael. But Ishmael wasn't the promise of God. That wasn't the way that God had intended it to work. So now as a result of, of Abraham trying to fulfill the promises of God without God, now he has something that was birthed out of his own strength. And so that thing rose up and his name was Ishmael. So when Isaac was finally born, Ishmael had issues with Isaac. Ishmael felt some type of way because he's like, technically, I'm the firstborn, so I should be the favorite, but I'm not the promised child. In fact, I'm the result of doing things on my own terms. So you know what happened? Ishmael began to bully Isaac. See, there's, there's so much in this scriptures if you look at it. Ishmael begins to bully Isaac, and so Isaac, whose name means joy, is being bullied by something that was birthed out of doing things outside of the will of God. I'm not sure if you ever found yourself being bullied by things that you felt like you've done outside of the will of God, that maybe you're trying your best to pursue the things of God, but it seems as if some things from the past seem to be bullying, mocking it. There's even another moment where in Isaac's life where we had another scenario to deal with. The scripture tells us about how, how God began to test Abraham at one moment and tell, and tell him to take Isaac to the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. T time doesn't permit me to get into all the symbolism of it, but ultimately the principle was, Abraham, are you willing to give me back the promise? Because we certainly know what it feels like to pursue the things that God can do for us more than we're pursuing God. So the object lesson that God was trying to make sure that he created for Abraham and Sarah is that now that the promise has been fulfilled, don't make an altar to it. You take it to the altar. So now, here we are. We find that Abraham has to now take the promise that God gave him and sacrifice it. Joy seems as if at times it can be sacrificed. So let's look at the life of Isaac. He's being made fun of by his brother. He's now being offered at the altar, but nonetheless, he was able to survive it. Here's what that ultimately means. When he says that I am the God of Isaac, he's saying that I am the God that is able to give you joy even if you are being mocked. I am the God that can bring you joy even if you have to sacrifice some things. That means that even if you find yourself in a place that should be taking joy away from you, that I am the God that is able to give you joy no matter what you are facing. So some of us are facing some situations right now and it seems as if there's a deficit of joy. This is why one of my favorite narratives inside of, of the Gospels is when Jesus turns water into wine, one of his first miracles. One of the things that we know about wine is that there's moments where it symbolically represents joy. So imagine the moment when Mary says to her son, Jesus, they ran out of wine. Or we can transliterate it to say, Jesus, they ran out of joy. And I think that sometimes we show up at church and we're saying, Lord, I am out of joy. 
Lord, I don't have any more joy in my marriage. I don't have any more joy in my home. I don't have any joy with my kids. I don't have any more joy. But when he says that I am the God of Isaac, I am the God that gives joy, that means that the joy of the Lord is your strength in the same way that Jesus was able to turn water into wine. He could turn your situation into joy. But it's all about taking the promises of God and depositing it and making it into the currency of faith. So even when you're facing situations that should be taking joy, you're saying, no, I have joy because I have Jesus. And if I have Jesus, then I have more than enough. I have the joy that I need because I serve the God that knows how to give me joy. We pray and ask God to give us joy in the areas where it seems as if the enemy's tried to take it. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac, but he's also the God of Jacob. See, Isaac has two sons, and his two sons are, 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 are birthed. They're twins, and they have a responsibility to carry on the legacy, but Esau was born first. Esau was supposed to be the promised child, so to speak. But Jacob, his, his younger brother, he tricks him. He deceives him, and he steals the birthright. In addition to that, Esau also convinces and tricks his dad that he is Esau, Isaac does, I mean, um, Jacob does, and he steals the promised blessing from him. So now we have a man named Jacob who is deceitful, who's a thief, who's, who's connived his brother, who's connived his father, and now who's on the run for his life. So it seems to me that of all the characters in the Bible, why would God say, I'm the guide of this guy? Why would God choose him? But now let's take it a step further. There is a moment where, where, where Jacob has this encounter with God. And when he has this encounter with God, the Bible says that, that God changed his name. Maybe you're familiar with that story of, of, of Jacob wrestling with God. That's that moment where he wrestles with God. He's wrestling with call and he can't run any further. Because sometimes you got to wrestle through some things. Some of us have been wrestling and running from God, but now we're at a point where I've been wrestling for long enough. And now God has finally got me in a position of submission. So scripture says that, that God literally dislocates his hip. I'm telling you, man, who knew that God was into UCF, UFC? That's it. You can tell I watch it. God puts him in a submissive position and dislocates his hip. Why would God dislocate his hip? Man, I wish I had another 30 minutes to preach this thing. He dislocated his hip because when your hip gets dislocated, it changes the way that you walk. <laughs> so that means that there are times when you have an encounter with God that he may dislocate some things in your life, but it'll change the way that you walk around some things. There's times when you have an encounter with God where you begin to walk differently around your marriage. You walk differently around your workplace. You walk differently around your family. So maybe you're wrestling with some things with God right now. Go ahead and go ahead and submit because maybe God wants to change the way that you walk around that situation, but you gotta be willing to submit. But I digress, let's keep it moving. So what we find here is that now Jacob is at this place where he wrestles with God. God dislocates his hip and then he says, I'm going to change your name to Israel. Yes, that Israel that we often hear us talk about in Scripture, the 12 tribes of Israel. He has 12 sons, and, and through those sons, that's the lineage of, of faith and legacy that was promised all the way back with Abraham. What a, what a fulfillment of Scripture. But, but you would think that whenever we're referring to God, you would think that we would say that he's the God of Abraham, God of increase, the God of Jacob, the God who brings joy no matter what situation you find yourself in, and the God of Israel, because Israel means the champion of God. By all means, who wouldn't want to make sure that you lead with that name? I'm a champion. But no, he says, I am the God of Jacob. Why would God choose that name? 
Why would God lean on that name instead of the changed name that seems to be so much better? I think it's because God knew that he was talking to some people that needed to understand some things. That even in spite of the fact that, that Jacob had stolen from his brother, that he had deceived his father, that he had done some, some real grimy things in his life, that he is the God of redemption. That he is the God of a second chance. He is a God of restoration. So when we see in Scripture where it says the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, that means that he is a God that knows how to redeem and restore. And we don't want to get away from that because there's some things in our lives that we face that we need restoration. There's some things that we find ourselves encountering that we need redemption in. I've even seen instances where it seems as if there's some relationships that are broken, but also connected to that name is he's the God of reconciliation. So I'm here to encourage somebody right now that maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking of the things that are broken in your life. You're thinking of the mistakes that you've made in your life, or you're thinking of the things that seem to be beyond repair. But let me know, let me let you know that you serve the God of Jacob, which means you serve the God of a second chance. You serve the God of restoration. You serve the God of reconciliation. You serve the God who knows how to take the things that are broken, but put them right back into their place. Be encouraged right now, my friends, that maybe right now you have a fractured relationship, but you serve the God of Jacob, which means you serve the God of reconciliation. Maybe you got some things in your past and you believe it's preventing you from moving into the future, but you serve the God of redemption because Jesus has already paid the price. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no shame. The price has already been paid because you serve the God of redemption, the God of Jacob. This is the thing that inspires us. This is the thing that we do when we come to church and we gather together as a community. We're reminded that the God that we serve is a God who is able to give second chances and redemption and restoration. I want to close with this and invite the band to come back to join me as we prepare to go back into a time of worship together. I want you to know that God's credit score is perfect. That if you were to look at the history of the people that God has encountered, it's perfect. He fulfills what he says. So if you're wondering what's on God's credit report, perfection is. Here's a couple of passages I want you to write down to encourage yourself. Jeremiah 1:12. The Lord has said it to me, you have seen correctly, for I watch over my word so it can accomplish what I sent it out to do. Isaiah 55, 11. So my word that comes out of my mouth will not turn to me empty, but it will accomplish what I pleased for it to prosper and what I sent it to do. Another translation says that his word does not come back to him void. You know what void means? It's like a bounce check. But God's saying, my credit score is perfect. So if I said it, I'm going to accomplish it. I watch over it. The same way that I look over my bank account. So I'm not, every time I open up, I wake up in the morning, I pick up my iPhone, it tells me the app that I normally open up the quickest. It's typically my bank account. It should be the Bible app, but I'm working towards it. That's what this season of fasting and praying is. But it knows that I'm typically looking at my account because if anybody is about stewardship and managing your money, you want to make sure you keep an eye to know where the transactions are and making sure that anything's not happening to your account while you're asleep. Imagine the same tenacious way that you may evaluate your bank account is the same way that God is looking over his word to make sure it accomplishes exactly what he said it's going to do in your life. He's watching over it. Second Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For every one of God's promises in him are yes, and therefore through him we say amen. That means that if God said it, he's going to do it. His promises are yes and amen.
This is why we sing the songs that we sing, because we're, we're reaffirming what God's Word says. When we say amen, we're saying, so be it. We're in agreement with it. God's Word says it, so we're expecting it. It shall be done. It's our way of declaring. We believe it. That's what amen means is, so be it. So be the will of God. That's what we're standing and believing on. See, this is why testimony is so important amongst our community. You may hear me and Megan and, and maybe Mike and, and Nate and whoever else that gets up here and says like, hey, we would love to hear from you. But here's why. Because we know that we serve the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. But there's a lot of people in the community, they don't know Abraham, they don't know Isaac, and they don't know Jacob. But they do know Megan, they do know Mike, they do know Hope, they do know Danny. So when we share our testimony, it allows people to deposit what God has done in your life into their spiritual bank account, and they can transfer it into the currency of faith. So when we gather together and we share what God is doing, it's not just so that we can share stories, but we're building hope because somebody needs to hear from someone that they know what God has done in their life. When we're sharing stories about how God can take someone who filed for bankruptcy and was depleted financially and help to move them forward with adequate stewardship, that gives inspiration to somebody because they're like, I know them, I can touch them, I can feel them. God's credit report is perfect. And, and I'm not sure which aspect you need to lean into right now. Credit reports are broken up into many sections. But I believe the main thing for us to lean into is recognizing that all his promises are yes and amen. We look at this word, they're filled with promises, but now we have to deposit into our spiritual bank account, transfer it into the currency of faith and walk it out like we believe it and we stand on that above all else. God's credit score is perfect. I want us to stand on our feet and I wanna pray for us before we go back into a quick moment of, of worship to kind of seal in this moment. God, we, we, sing, we sing this song that, that in your promises, yes and amen. This, this, this song that's meant to be an affirmation of your word and us coming into alignment, us coming to an agreement and believing that if your word says it, we are going to stand and hold fast until we see it. So Lord, I pray for your community right now. That whatever it is we need to see fulfilled in our lives, that whatever it is that we need to see transferred into the currency of faith for us, God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. That's the authority. That's the signature on the promises of God that says that this transaction will go through. In the name of Jesus, that every one of your promises will be fulfilled in the lives of your people. God, there are many situations that we're facing and we're paying for it with the currency of logic. Sometimes we're paying for it with the currency of fear or sometimes we may feel that we're inadequate altogether. But Father, remind your people that you have paid the debt, that shame no longer has a place in our lives and that we can move forward and knowing that you are a God of increase, that you're a God of joy and that you are a God that brings redemption. So Lord, I'm praying that wherever we need to see increase, God, bring increase. We say yes and amen. Wherever we need joy, I say bring joy. We say yes and amen. And God, wherever we need redemption, bring redemption. We say yes and amen. Lord, we know that your credit score is perfect. So we're going to walk it out knowing that the debt has been paid and all we have to do is transfer it into the currency of faith, believing it, standing on it, singing it, locking ourselves into it, believing that you're going to move on behalf of your people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
we're going to do now is we're going to go into a time of worship. After that, Pastor Nate's going to come up and he's going to, he's going to give an altar call and invite anybody that needs to say yes to the finished work of Jesus. He's going to create space for that. But right now, I just want to go right into this song of worship and, and just allow those words to speak to you. All of his promises are yes and amen. Don't let this be a, a piece of paper that has promises that we haven't deposited. But let's sing it. Let's declare it. Let's put it into our spiritual bank accounts and transfer it into faith by saying it out loud, believing it, declaring it, and knowing that God is moving on your behalf. His promises are yes and amen. Let's worship together as a church family. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you heard today. If you'd like more content like this or you'd like to connect with us, go to celebrationorl.org. We hope you join us next time.